Good morning, friends at Seven Mile Road. I'm told that you all have been praying for city to city and for my health. Let me just take a minute to thank you so much. I'm humbled and grateful for your prayers and God is answering them. God continues to open so many doors for city to city and he is sustaining me to continue to do the work he's called me to do. So thanks so much for those prayers. And I'm also thankful for the technology that's letting me speak to you today. Also, let me take a minute to thank you for your partnership in the gospel with City to City. There in Houston, under Jeremiah's leadership, you all are loving your city and helping to start more churches through the Houston Church Planting Network. Through your partnership with City to City, you've also supported Femi in Lagos and Sam in Accra, and now you're committed to helping us in collaboration with our regional affiliates to equip hub cities that will work toward gospel movements in their particular regions. Thank you. And in light of all that, this morning I want to speak to you from 2 Timothy 4 to encourage you in your work to share the gospel right there in your own city, or I should say right here in your own city and also globally. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 4, just verses 1 to 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. Now, Paul here is obviously speaking to Timothy near the very end of Paul's life. And Timothy is being given something to do, but Paul not only tells him what to do, but then he tells him how to do it and why he should do it. What? how and why. And what I'm going to try to show you is that this is not something that just applies to Timothy, but all of us. So let's start right off by saying, what is it that he is charging Timothy to do? <clears throat> and that is to evangelize. Now he says, preach the word. But the Greek word he uses is the word caruso, K-E-R-U-S-S-O, it's usually rendered. And it's one of the main words in the New Testament Greek words the New Testament uses for preaching, but it's a word that means to herald something. Uh, there's a whole lot of other words, Greek words, that could have been used for preaching, but it's a word that actually means uh, to herald, and the heralds were the people who would come into the marketplace and give people the news of the day. Heralds came and brought the news. This is what happened, that would happen, was what, what happened. Heralds were not philosophers. Heralds were not teachers. Heralds were just telling people what had already happened. And so for the New Testament to choose uh, this word to talk about preaching 
is pretty remarkable. In other words, the essence of Christian preaching is not to tell people how they should live. Though, of course, if you're teaching the Bible, you will tell people how to live. But the essence of Christian preaching is to tell people not what to do, but what has been done. Not what they must do to save themselves, but what has been done to save them. In other words, the very core of preaching, which means the very core of the Bible, the Word, is to show people that it's Jesus Christ who saves them, they don't save themselves. It's a message of grace. That's the gospel. And therefore, because Timothy is being called to preach the gospel, that's the reason why later on, Paul, you, you heard it, says do the work of an evangelist. Now, you say, fine. Um, that's Timothy. He obviously was a um, he obviously was a pastor who preached and did public speaking, and it's right, you're right, the word Caruso usually means public speaking. But here's what I want you to consider. Uh, I look back as I was preparing this sermon for you, this exposition, and I realized that even though I've preached on this passage many, many times in my 45 years in ministry, I have virtually never preached on it on a Sunday morning. I usually would preach on it when we're ordaining someone or commissioning a missionary or something like that. But as I looked at this again, I began to realize this is actually not something just for Timothy or for ordained ministers at all. Acts chapter 8, crucial verses, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, tell us that when Stephen was stoned to death, you know Stephen was the first Christian martyr, uh, that it says that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but all the other Christians were scattered away from Jerusalem because of the uh, persecution. And it says they evangelized everywhere they went. It actually says they preached everywhere they went. Now, you know that if all the Christians were going out there, they were not all public speakers. So what does it mean? It means they evangelized. All of them evangelized. And therefore, everything that Paul's telling Timothy about how to do evangelism is something that all of us need to take to heart. So, um, and uh, I'll, let me just say one more thing here, is one of the first books I read when I got to seminary many, many years ago uh, was a book by Michael Green called Evangelism in the Local Church. It was actually a historic uh, study. It was a study of how evangelism actually happened in the earliest church. And the thing that just struck me, it just, I've never forgotten it, of course, because here I'm telling you about it many, many years later. Michael Green says that in the earliest church, virtually all the evangelism, 89% of the evangelism, always happened one-to-one -one through lay people. It did not mainly happen by bringing uh, a non-Christian to church to hear the great preacher. You know why? It was too dangerous to bring non-Christians to church for big parts of the early, uh, those early centuries. If you brought a non-Christian to church, that person might report on you and everybody go to jail. You know, I mean, uh, that's, Michael Green says that's not how evangelism happened. Uh, the reason why the church grew so rapidly was individual Christians evangelized. And they evangelized people they knew. And therefore, what Timothy is being told to do, which is evangelize, is something that we're all being told to do. So now, secondly, how must Timothy do it? And of course, that means how do we do it? So evangelize, yes, that's what we're supposed to do. But how? And there's five things that, um, that Paul mentions here that are extremely important. First of all, we're supposed to do it, he says, be prepared. Uh, in fact, now you see the New International Version that I read you said, preach the word, 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Now, what does it mean, be prepared? If you have an old King James Bible, it actually might say, be instant in season and out of season. Uh, there are other, there's others that say, be urgent in season and out of season. Now, the reason why they're having trouble, uh, not trouble, the reason why the different translations translate the word differently is you're talking about a Greek word that's not easy to render with one English word. And it's a word that actually means to be so equipped you're ready to do something at the drop of a hat. It means not needing um, to be, um, not needing to say, oh, I'd be happy to do it, but let me go prepare. No, you're already prepared. Think about that. Now, um, what this means is when you have the opportunity to evangelize, you're so prepared. You have thought this out. You have done this before. You have been equipped so that you're not afraid and you just open your mouth and you start talking. When the opportunity is there, you talk. Now, let me, let me just suggest something that uh, I got also from Michael Green and what I've also seen in the rest of the world. Uh, not, every, not every lay person, not every Christian is going to be able to be like that. This is pretty remarkable uh, for Paul to say, you should be so equipped that the minute an opportunity comes up, you're able to jump right in because you're that, you're that prepared. Um, most Christians are never going to get there, but here's what I found. If even 10% of the members of a church, let's just say you've got 100 people coming to church. If 10 of them have over the last couple of years just given themselves, they've gone to the minister, they've gone to other Christian leaders, and they said, prepare us. We want to be in a position. So, so when our non-Christian friends have an objection about something, about Christianity, we know how to answer it. So when our non-Christian friends bring up a subject that we know could move toward talking about God, we're not afraid to go there. Prepare us, prepare us, prepare us. If 10% of the uh, people in a particular church are willing to be prepared, I've discovered that that church is going to grow with new Christians, new converts every single year. Uh, But frankly, most churches don't even have 10% of their lay people that are really equipped. So, just to say, first of all, you've got to be prepared. The second thing, Paul says, is you've also got to be intelligent. Now, it doesn't. you say, where was that word intelligent? When he says, be prepared, in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And that word instruction is the word didache, which means teaching, and the word careful means just what you might think. It means very intelligent, very nuanced, um, it means not just giving people slogans. It means not just telling people, don't doubt. Don't ask me that question. You just have to believe. Uh, don't ask you these questions. I mean, no, 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 no. That's just not, you know, there's a pl- the book of Jude, not one of the most famous books in the New Testament, but the book of Jude says, be merciful to them that doubt. Isn't that amazing? That's a command. Right from the Bible to you and me. Be merciful to them that doubt. And the only way to be merciful is to, is to listen and to say, okay, let me think about that. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Careful instruction. Not just blasting people with, with slogans or, or principles. So, first of all, be prepared. Secondly, be intelligent. Thirdly, be practical. Because the word says correct. But the word correct, again... Um, it says, be prepared in season, out of season, and this is correct. 
but it's actually a word that means convict. And to convict isn't, isn't quite the same as correct. Convict means that people say, wow, this is something I really need to do. That's conviction. See, conviction means they're persuaded not just that this is sort of true in the abstract, but something that they need. Which means that when we talk about the gospel, we've got to be careful we don't just stay up here with our theology or argue about, you know, here's the five proofs for the existence of God. We need to get down and say things like, you need meaning in life. Well, here's your meaning. You need hope. Well, here's your hope. You need, you need to real, know that you're valuable. Well, here's your identity. Uh, it, you, you have to connect the gospel to people's needs and to their lives. So you have to do it. You have to be prepared, number one. Number two, you have to be intelligent about it. Number three, you have to be extremely practical, very listener-oriented, really making sure you see what is really bothering them and making sure you bring the gospel to connect with what is really bothering them. Uh, you, you know, answer the questions with the gospel that they were really asking. So you want it to be prepared, you want it to be intelligent, you want it to be practical. Thirdly, it says, with great patience. Remember that? It says, uh, with great patience. Now, this is extraordinarily important. When I, uh, when I was a younger man, uh, most of the people in the country that I could talk to, whether it was up here in the Northeast, where I'm from, I'm from Pennsylvania, or down the South, most people, when you spoke to them, had some idea about God and about Christ and about afterlife and things like that. And we'll get, I'll get back to that in a, in a second, actually. But by and large, you could really expect that if you got a person into a room and you preached the gospel to them, most of them could either say, yes, I understand the gospel, and, um, but I don't want to accept it. Or people would say, yes, I see that's the gospel and I'm going to accept it. Uh, but today, people are so far back. People have so little understanding of what's in the Bible or what Christianity is about that it takes a process. Uh, now, we should know this. In the past, for example, uh, one of the worst things that used to happen in the good old days, uh, like a thousand years ago, fifteen hundred years ago, uh, if like, let's say the king of Northumbria, you know, which is you know, was part of Great Britain, if the king of Northumbria was a pagan and became a, a Christian, you know, maybe he decided I'm going to become a Christian and get baptized. Well, then everybody got baptized. <laughs> you know, all of his soldiers, all of his nobles, everybody got baptized because well, the king's a Christian. I guess we're all Christians, and I think you can guess what what that would mean is that. When people become Christians like that, they say, sure, Christianity, great, let's go, let's get baptized. They had no idea what they were talking about. They, it didn't penetrate into their heart. There was no process. And so what you had was nominal Christianity. And you still do today. Huge numbers of people in Europe are, because that's actually how Europe became Christian, was usually the king would, would convert, and then the whole country would convert. And what that did was it, it led to official Christianity, you know, officially the whole country was Christian. But when it came right down to it, most people had just gotten baptized and hadn't really thought about it. And we have the same problem. If you really are not patient, especially today, people are not going to come to faith. You need to spend a lot of time, personal relationship, really spend time letting them come to faith in, in a, in a, at a process. I mean, the process might be very, very slow. At first, they might just decide, if you're a Christian and 
and you share with them. At first, it might be that they just decide you're not a fool. And that might be the first step. And I say, hey, Sally's a Christian and she's not a fool. Huh, interesting. And that's the first step. Maybe the second step is when you talk about what God has meant to you and, and that person down deep says, well, you know, maybe Christianity actually might be of some help. I don't know. And that's the process. That's the process. That's the process. So be very, very patient. And lastly, be balanced. And what I mean by balanced, it doesn't just say rebuke. And it doesn't just say encourage. It says rebuke and encourage. Uh, now, you might say, well, that's a balance of truth and love. Yes, it is, but I'll get right back to that in a minute because I want to move on. Because the last thing it says about uh, how we are to do it is we're supposed to do it in season and out of season. In season and out of season. Now, what's that mean? Uh, Paul, at this point, is pushing, at, pushing back against the idea that if people aren't favorably disposed to them, don't even talk to them. Uh, it's marketing, okay? It's marketing. Uh, what you do in marketing is you target people, all right? So right now, uh, it's frightening to me. If I show on my phone an interest in watching, um, you know, let, let's just say I, I watch a, a video of, uh, you know, of Jimmy Connors, you know, playing against Bjorn Borg, you know, in a tennis championship. Next thing you know, my phone is saying, hey, here's where you can buy great tennis rackets. Why? Because they don't want to talk to people and try to convince people um, that, you know, tennis is a great sport. They want to find people who already think tennis is a great sport in order to convince them you need to buy our tennis racket. And Paul's against marketing. Paul is saying, I don't care whether you come into a, a town and it looks like, hey, these are people that are going to be favorably disposed to Christianity. Okay, let's preach. And over here, there's a town that is not favorably disposed to Christianity, so let's just not go there. Nope, nope, sorry. In season and out of season. But here, let me just let me say something before I move to his great conclusion. The only way that you can actually preach the gospel in season and out of season is you do have to learn how to, I'm going to use a word, uh, you, need, you need to learn how to, to teach people about sin no matter who they are, no matter what they believe. This is one of the biggest problems we have right now. I think you might go, I think I can go this far to say that right now in our culture, in the West, in both Europe and North America and Australia, uh, in the Western countries right now, it's out of season. <laughs> the gospel's out of season. And one of the reasons is this. Every culture in history up to now has always said, our problem is we need to connect to the truth. We're living selfish lives and human beings are going to war against each other and they're going to do crime. But if we can make a human being virtuous by connecting that human being to the truth, then we'll get along and then things will be better in the world. Now, nobody agreed on what that truth was. Muslims said you have to get them connected to Allah. Confucius said you have to get them connected to heaven. Uh, Buddha says you have to get them connected to the all-soul. Uh, Jews and Christians said you have to get connected to you know, the God of the Bible. Uh, actually, even the Greeks and the, and the Romans said you have to get connected to the, 
uh, the the uh, the logos, which was the uh, the, the, the cosmic order behind the universe. So they, everybody had some belief in supernatural or transcendence or something, and human beings who were selfish and not virtuous, they need to get connected to something outside of themselves to make themselves virtuous, and that will solve our problems. We are the first culture in history that says, no, no, we need to go into ourselves. We need to decide what is right or wrong. We need to find going into ourselves, and we'll find the strength to be whoever we want to be. See, every other religion, and probably every other culture, always said the big problem human beings have is they're not connected to the moral order. On the other hand, we're the first place that ever said, the first culture that ever said, hey, we're actually the moral order. There is no moral order out there. It's inside. Now, how do you talk to people like that about sin? You can talk to a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, um, uh, an African tribal, people of African tribal religions, you can talk about sin because they do know there's something outside of us that we're supposed to be uh, aligning with. But how do you talk today to uh, secular people? Very difficult. On the other hand, I would just suggest that there are ways of doing it. One of them is by looking at the first commandment which says that unless you love God the most, you will set up an idol in your life and if you set up that idol in your life, then that will become the new uh, master. And I found that over the years here in New York, I was able to say to people, look, um, uh, you have to live for something, don't you? And if you live for your career, your career will drive you. If you live for romance and beauty, it will drive you. Jesus Christ is the only master that if you fail him will forgive you. Your career can't die for your sins. But on the other hand, if you get him, will satisfy you. And see, now that's a different approach, is it not? The point is, how do you do it in season and out of season? And Paul says, find a way. You have to find a way, and you will find a way. So here's one last thing to say. We are supposed to evangelize, all of us. At least 10%, and I would hope more, in every church, and I would hope the people, those of you who are listening to me, this morning might consider being those people, uh, you need to get prepared. You need to get prepared in, uh, to do what we've been talking about here, to be able to talk to people at the drop of a hat, to do it intelligently, to connect it to their needs, to be incredibly loving as well as insisting on the truth, uh, to do it in very patient processes, and to adapt to the situation, adapt to the culture. Uh, to not speak to a secular person the way you'd speak to a Hindu, not speak to a Hindu the way you'd speak to a Muslim, but to do it in season and out of season, adapting your approach depending on who the people are, but never giving up, never giving up. Here's the last thing to say, and of course, I'm an older man, so reading this, those of us who are older might be struck a little bit more by it than some of you who are younger, but we should all be struck by it where Paul says at the very end, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So why should you evangelize? We've talked about what you should do, we've talked about how you should do it, but why should you evangelize? And this is something fascinating. There's a crown of righteousness stored up for you. What does that mean? And I think it means something like this, just to 
cut to the chase, as it were. Um, when you were a child and somebody praised you, do you remember how great it felt? Remember that? I remember once when I was in uh, junior high school, I actually played a trumpet in, in, in my uh, school years. And in junior high school, boy, you know, everybody's terrible in junior high school. I mean, have you ever listened to a junior high school orchestra band? They're just horrible. But I had a little uh, solo to play. It was probably about eight bars. And uh, I was at it. we were at a concert, and I played it. And I was about ten times better than I'd ever been before and probably ever was afterwards. I just hit every note. And everybody loved it. And afterwards, everybody told me that was so great and all that. And I've never forgotten it, as you can tell, because here I am at the age of 71. Remember something that happened when I was 13. Because we need to be affirmed deep down inside us. And you know why? Because we are made for God's affirmation. We are made for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We are made to have God say, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. We are made for that. Now, I want you to think of the, the greatest moment in your whole life where you felt affirmed and praised, and multiply that by hmm, 100 trillion. And that's what it's like to get that crown. It's finally, you already have the righteousness of Christ, and yet the crown of righteousness means it'll be complete. We'll be perfect. We'll get the applause of God. We'll get the, the, uh, the approval of God. And it's going to come down on us, and it's just going to inflict in us a joy that we didn't even know we were capable of. You know, we, from what we can tell, I mean, all historians believe that Paul was martyred. He was found guilty, and he was executed, you know? But while he was hearing Nero or whoever say, guilty, he knew that God was saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the reason why he was able to open his mouth and talk no matter what. Come on now. Do you love his appearing? Are you looking forward to that? You know, Psalm 16 says, in his face is fullness of joy, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, with that in mind, don't be afraid to open your mouth and do the work of an evangelist. Right there in your town, right there in your neighborhood, right there, maybe in your family. God bless you. Let me close in prayer here. Our Father, um, this charge is not just for evangelists who are professionals who go around and speak to big crowds. This is a charge to all of us. And uh, we pray that those of us who are hearing today might sense how important this is now and realize that Paul is not letting us off the hook. Oh, the gospel is out of season right now in so many ways in this country. But Paul says that doesn't matter. Be prepared. Be patient. Uh, both rebuke and encourage. Be willing to tell uh, people the truth and at the same time affirm them. Be practical. Be patient. So, Father, turn us into churches that really know how to reach out with the gospel uh, to the, all the people around us because we want them to have the crown of righteousness too. And so we ask that you would help us love our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues like this. 
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.